0: This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's going on, Wildcatter Nation? Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast. One of our favorite people ever, Rachel Olney, founder of Geosite, and just an all-around badass. Joins us again to catch us up on everything that they've been working on in energy and in the defense sector. Some actually were some really big contracts they have been working on there, a lot of synergies. If you didn't catch our last episode with Rachel, just go back. You can scroll down forever. She was actually probably episode like 40, I think, 41. Um, So if you want to go and listen to that one, we'll dive a little bit deeper into her background, the founding of GeoSight and all that kind of stuff. This is a great refresher. It's been over a year since we have her on the show. Um, You know, she kind of came into the industry very, very quickly, busted on a whole bunch of doors and has made a ton of progress. And so we're super excited for everything that they're working on. They've got some big name investors now, uh, a lot of resources behind them and their team is growing and they're booming. Um, so super happy for these guys. Great episode. It's always a fun uh, conversation with Rachel. So I hope you really enjoy this. Now let's roll into our segment that we like to call our TPH Energy Insight of the Week. All right, so this week we're gonna talk a little bit about uh, electric frack fleets, aka e fleets. I don't think this is super new, but also it's not super common, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, have you really worked on the e fleet. Uh, yeah, I mean, I personally haven't. You know, I was always on old school, um, you know, diesel motors. <laughs> roaring black smoking. That's what I think of when I think of a frack fleet. But yeah, this is something that people have been trying over the past few years is to get these electric flat, frack fleets. And um, this week's news came out that Next Tier and NOV have partnered up to uh, pilot some of NOV's e-fleet technology. And Frontier is looking at using it and possibly adopting it for some of their fleets. And you know, they, they've got some pretty cool um, statistics in there and estimations. Of what it can yeah. do for frack operators. Yeah,
0: fuel savings 89%, reduced carbon emissions by 74%. The same is quieter, reduces the noise noise nuisance. That's kind of hard to say. Uh greater energy density and small number of units needed on site. I mean, you traditionally need like what, like probably
1: a dozen trucks? Yeah, it's something like that. I mean, it depends on um you know, each application. But yeah, you know, this is pretty interesting because these units are ran off of gas turbines. So, you can use all this uh, field gas that you have out on the lease to power them. And so, that's why you're getting such a massive saving on the fuel costs. And, you know, this kind of runs in with other themes that you see across other technologies. People are looking at how they can set up data centers out on their locations and harvest natural gas instead of flaring it off and, you know, creating smart grids to, um, you know, become more efficient in their energy consumption and production across the lease. So I think, uh, you know, this is pretty interesting to me. I would like to see, you know, how these things, you remember like back on the early days of the podcast, we had, um, we had that frack EK- technology. EKU, Yeah. EKU startup EKU, EK. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, their technology really played into this. And so I think that there's a lot of eyes on, um, frack one, because fuel is going to be one of your biggest operating costs if you're a frack operator. Right. And so if you can drive that down, I mean, you just drive down the, the price of fracking well, and then obviously the ESG benefits that you get and just becoming more, um, Efficient and sustainable, I think is what everyone's looking for. So I get excited about these technologies. I get excited about the idea of making oil and gas cleaner. It's something that a lot of people on the other side of the aisle, if you will, and clean tech don't talk a lot about, you know, everyone has this harsh transition from oil and gas to renewables. But what happens in between there, I think that there's a lot of opportunity for new technology. In oil and gas operations. So, um, cool things happening over at NOV and Frontier. And hopefully, we'll get an update on it sometime soon.
0: Yeah. So, if you want some more news like this, go check out uh, TPH's Energy Tech newsletter. Uh, you can go to the link in the show notes or go to the website. Uh, also, D4 conference coming up soon. It's like less than, I think, like two weeks away. And so, uh, they're giving out these virtual reality headset things. You slide your phone in there. Um,
1: yeah, did you see I don't me know exactly how, how it's gonna internet?
0: work. You got memed left and right. Yeah. You became
1: actual meme template. There's a meme template of me wearing the TPH headset. And so people were inserting whatever images they wanted to insert on the headset. So yeah, make sure to get signed up and they'll send out those headsets and you guys can actually view the conference in 360. Cool. Let's get right into the episode.
0: What is going on, Wildcatters? Welcome back to another episode of the Willing Gas Starters podcast. This is the very first time we've ever done this remotely. So bear with us uh, if you're watching on uh, on YouTube. Obviously, we are not in the studio. We are in three completely different places because COVID is running wild and rampant in the streets. Yeah, not only are we doing it they remote
1: with our guests, but Jake and I aren't in the same location. So this is weird. This is I really,
2: believe in really us. Weird. I but think we got this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we'll make we've it We've got one of our
0: favorite people. Rachel Olney, founder and CEO of Geosite. Back on the show, we had you on in the early days. I say early days. It was like episode 40, I believe. And so if you guys want to go check out Rachel's entire story, go check out episode 40. Uh, But we're here to check in. They're doing some really, really big things. And so... We just love talking with Rachel, so we just want to see what's going on with you, what's going on with GeoSight, let's catch up, let's have fun.
2: Yeah, so GeoSight is a enterprise set of applications specifically for leveraging spatial data. Um, So the best way to think of GeoSight is, you know, as a platform that has multiple applications for specific verticalized uh, problem sets. So, you know, last time, you know, the the main one we were focused on is, is what we call GeoSight Core, which is around giving people access to, you know, the best satellite imagery, the best information about what's happening out in the field and allowing people to do what we call desktop recon. Um, So they're able to essentially keep track of things where they're not. Um, That really stemmed out of some work we were doing in special operations. For those of you that want to hear even more about that, go back to the, what, 40th (laughs) podcast? Yeah, something like that, 40th podcast. And and so, but our, our core thesis is that there is a massive proliferation of spatially referenced data from satellites, drones, aircraft, ground sensors, you name it. And then there are a ton of non-technical users that are trying to, or at least non-geospatial engineers, who are trying to take that data and use it to make decisions. Um, so, you know, since we last talked, we've launched three other major applications, uh, you know, one of which is is focused solely on the energy industry, um, two others that are you know, on the defense and national security side. Um, so on the, on the national security side, we actually are building out the mission management tool for search and rescue in the US. So if you're a hiker and you, you know, press your personal locator beacon, um, you're lost in the forest, uh, you will pop up on Geosite and somebody will come rescue you. Uh, right now, that's actually done through a set of very exquisite Excel spreadsheets. Um, so obviously a, a piece of geospatial software might be helpful there. Um so that's that's one major application we launched this year in addition to you know we're doing personnel tracking for covid for the air force. So you know we had some some good air force customers and friends and they were you know basically struggling to figure out you know who can we deploy, who can we send to training events, how do we manage, you know what they call risk to force with risk to mission? How do we make sure that we can deploy people to the field um but not have our force crippled by the pandemic. Um huge national security question. And so we we dove right into it and we ended up doing um, a bit of modeling for them. And you can imagine, you know, seeing a map and you can see where everybody's going and you can see the levels of COVID risk, and then you can assess that for your entire population. Um, and then the last one, the one most relevant to most of your listeners uh, is our methane emissions tracking and response tool. So same problem set, you know, we've seen a huge advancement in the number and types of sensors, uh, trying to get after, you know, methane emissions tracking, but then actually taking that data, putting it into a workflow where people are making decisions on a daily basis, where people are keeping track of, you know, what sort of responses they've had, you know, keeping track of, you know, what's being done in the field and actually being able to see all of those different sensors in in one pane of glass. Um, that's That's where we've stepped in to help.
1: Yeah, I always find it really interesting with you guys that you have, you know, you're over here in oil and gas, and then you have your defense contracts and doing work with the yeah. Air Force. It's really unique, and I'm sure it's even more unique from an internal perspective in your operations, trying to attack both of these, um, you know, I call them kind of traditional, slower moving operations. Just like you said, you where these huge decisions are being made off of Excel spreadsheets. What are you guys, you know? I, I know y'all just uh, released an announcement. You got this huge contract with the military. So, congratulations on that. That's exciting. Thank you. So, are you guys kind of focusing more on the defense and, and Air Force work right now, especially given everything that's going on with COVID? Or is, are things still really kind of taking off with oil and gas and you're putting a heavy emphasis on that too?
2: Yeah, that's like a whole series of questions. Uh,
1: I know, that's what I was like, like, I, I asked him. and you know, I don't, like, I'm going like to throw like 10 different questions. I don't have to talk want. for a while, so I just sit back while you you answer
2: it. He's like, I'm going to have a snack while <laughs> yeah. she uh, covers all of this. Um, so, I mean, uh, the, the first thing I want to say is is absolutely not. We're not turning away from, from energy. I mean, obviously, March was a really... Um, Volatile uh, is the nice way I'll put it time in the energy industry. Right. And and you guys know, Jeff, my my energy lead, who's based in Houston. Um, you know, he and I were on the phone constantly like, OK, what's happening? What's happening with our customers? We had a couple of customers who went under. We, you know, we're dealing with that that volatility right, right along with them. And in a lot of those cases, we were like, okay, let's figure out how to decrease the cost of goods, but still give you access to whatever you need. And and we tried to be as flexible as possible Um, for us. You know, we've decided to make that investment in the energy industry um, and in Houston. Right. Like we have an office there. We we really enjoy the energy industry. I I as you know. the the CEO of the company, I love working in industries where there are a really hard combination of uh, policy that people are trying, policy and regulations that people are trying to meet, uh, really complex operations, you know, really large organizations, really distributed uh, operations. And so, so we love thinking through all the problems with the energy industry. Of course, you know, our first product was focused on exploration and new development. That's not something that we've seen a lot of in 2020. So for us, you know, basically, <laughs> you know, Jeff is is sitting there and he's like, "All right, well, this is the worst day of my life. Our industry is vanishing." And I'm like, "Well, it's changing. Uh, let's figure out what we can help people with." And so that's when you know we reached back out to everybody and we said, "Okay, what are you struggling with?" you know, we know that our our core competencies are around bringing together this complex spatial data. And we kept hearing people bring up you know, emissions tracking uh, and response, especially as the regulations were starting to shift. Um, You know, with Regulation 7 in Colorado, we've had a lot of folks reaching out from there. They're like, hey, we're supposed to be figuring out what to do. You know, we we need help on this. Um, And then in Texas as well, there are some really large operators that are starting to put together different sensors. So for us, you know, our focus and energy had to shift. Um, But our overall commitment there hasn't. Um, and, and we remain split about 50 50 in terms of engineering efforts and and business efforts. And that's very conscious choice. Um, we love our defense work, but we don't want to just become a defense contractor. I think that the, the spatial problems we're solving are much bigger. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so for us, it, it, you know, we're trying to change with the industry, which luckily we have the flexibility to do.
1: So let's, uh, How do you structure your how do you structure
0: your team with with, you know, half of them focused on defense and half of them focused on energy? So,
2: I mean, according to our CTO, that's not a real distinction Um, (laughs) on the business side. It very much is right. So our our long term strategy with Geosite is building out the platform where people can build all sorts of applications. To integrate spatial data into decision making, and so mm. for us, as we're building up all of our um, our infrastructure and these different modules that provide different functionality, they're fairly industry agnostic. So, if you think about the incident of a hiker getting lost, the you know the person who is you know on the control floor managing the rescue of that hiker, they. You know, have a beacon go off, so something goes off and tells them there's a problem. They start to validate the data, they look at it, they call somebody who's local to see if they know what's going on. Um, you know, they then track what that person is finding. There's a set of procedures they have to follow. There's a certain level of uh, reporting and cataloging how they responded to the incident. You can imagine that same set of functionalities. Is the same for methane emissions response, right? So you're gonna have, you know, data that's telling you about something that's happening in the field. You're gonna have experts that are looking at that, making decisions, deploying somebody um, out to go do an ins- inspection. You're following up on that. And so actually a lot of our engineering is is very horizontal. Um, In terms of verticals, you know, we have our two leads. We have our defense lead and our energy lead. um, And, you know, they both report directly to me and I work with both of them, you know, almost every day. And so so that's kind of how we're divided. But yeah, when, you know, if you were to ask our CTO the same question, he'd be like, there's no difference between our defense and (laughs) energy side. They're all the same. yeah
1: exactly hey so let's talk <laughs> politics real quick um i've never yeah. done that on this show before but i'm really interested on you your like, you let's know. do it
2: while we're all remote <laughs> yeah that's extra fun yeah
1: i want to put rachel <laughs> on the spot so no um you know <laughs> yeah you're always really involved with politics and you know with the biden administration coming in mm-hmm. and there's a lot of talk around a fracking ban and you know this impact your home state new mexico um you know pretty significantly how do you oh, how yeah. do you guys at geosite kind of view what's happening with the change and how oil and gas is really perceived. And, you know, like when I hear that you guys are kind of making a pivot into methane detection and, um, you know, really kind of monitoring methane leaks. I mean, that's great, right? Because the industry is really going in the direction of how can we become more ESG friendly and more environmentally friendly. So, you know, it's a great play for you guys to be in. But how do you personally view the business, you know, in the next five years with everything that's going on politically? And does that affect your strategy at all?
2: Yeah, thank you for remembering I'm from New Mexico. I remember last I, I think the beginning think of we, our last podcast was you guys try trash talking New Mexico. Well, that's that's, why, I, that's why I remember because I was like, Yeah, New
1: Mexico's <laughs> trash and it's about to get even worse. So
2: Yeah. I love New Mexico. How no, dare a, it's you. It's not a bad place. Uh, so That's why
1: you that's why
0: used to live there,
2: right? <laughs> That's why that's why I used to live there. I
0: said, that's why you still live there, right? Because you love it so much. Well, I
2: I went to school. I've just, you know, I got stuck where I went to school. That's, uh, uh, I could end up back in New Mexico, (laughs) speaking of politics. But um, in terms of, you know, the politics around energy on like the national scale first, like you're talking about fracking bans or things like that. I think one of the things that um, any really good executive team or decision like teams making decisions about the future of their companies and energy that I've seen and realized is you know the the other reason why we were happy to double down in energy and the reason why I say energy, not oil and gas is that a lot of these companies themselves are diversifying. they're looking at okay, how do we still you know do extraction you know while making sure to address people's concerns? how do we make sure that you know if if we're flaring we're flaring. But if we don't mean to be, that we're not, you know, emitting where we don't realize that we are. Um, And so, you know, for me, I think the industry is more resilient than people give it credit for. I think there are a lot of very innovative people in the energy industry who are looking out and saying, "Okay, these are the new conditions we have to operate in. Here is how we're going to make these decisions and here's how we're going to proceed. So, you know, I think that all markets get disrupted, and anytime a market gets disrupted, there's a lot of opportunity. Uh, and we're seeing a lot of that pop up all over the place um, in, in energy tech and with the operators. So I actually, you know, I'm I'm an optimist. Uh Just down in my core. So I'm like, I think every founder uh, has to be an
1: optimist or else you're just not going to make it.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I had an advisor once who, you know, his whole mantra was constraints are wonderful because constraints force you to be more innovative. Right. And and I think that there are more constraints being put on the energy industry. But I I trust the people in the industry who understand the you know, crucial nature of inexpensive, you know, power and energy to to help us maintain those low energy prices while actually meeting all of these these concerns um, through either local or national politics. So for us, you know, of course, the, the tailwinds on methane are great for us. It's part of why we picked that application. We knew that it was a problem people were thinking about, we knew it was a problem people were trying to solve. Um, but at the end of the day, and I don't remember if I got into this last time, like the thing that I love, the thing that turns me into like a total dork is efficiency. Like I love efficiency, like process efficiency, resource efficiency, all of it, right? I, I studied manufacturing for years. Like when I did my PhD, my like qualifying exams were on manufacturing, right? Like I love efficiency. So, um, you know, I'm watching the industry have to operate on... Um, You know tighter margins, which at the end of the day means that they're having to become more efficient about how they're doing field operations, right? You have to reduce road miles. You have to make sure that you're doing, you know, exception-based monitoring. You have to make sure that you're only responding to things that you have to. Uh, You're not responding to false positives, uh, but you're also not having false negatives that are resulting in fines. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's just a higher level of precision needed from the industry that actually I love, uh, and and we're all about helping with.
1: So it's funny you brought up, um, you know, your conversations with Jeff, your energy lead here in Houston when oil prices were going negative and you know everyone just thought the world was falling, you know, apart around them. So how has his operations changed here in the last you know six months or so? Um, you know. Obviously in Houston, you know, people are a little bit more lax with COVID, so is he still, you know, getting to meet with customers in person or has that gone full remote (laughs) over Zoom calls? And has he found that to be challenging? And has that kind of affected you guys in the business development side and energy?
2: Um, we, I mean, so yes, he's operating on the, uh, the Houston COVID standard. Um, (laughs) so he still goes into the office, you know, they, you know, his family is still doing the various activities that they did before. Um, you know, I sit here, you know, and like fret over it all the time, but I'm like, okay, he's going to make, you know, I trust him to like, not get like,
1: I was like, (laughs) Jeff, I just need
2: you to not die like you're you're young and healthy and you should be fine but like we need you
1: that's so it's like, like i'm proud to be part of the know. antibody gang now like i feel like invincible like a superhero i can just go wherever i want now and i don't have to worry about it so that's I, that's you the know, philosophy we got down here <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, that's very Texan, very very Texan. <laughs> I, so he, he, I mean, I would say the biggest shift was, you know, from January and February, we were crushing sales, right? Like we had found our product market fit. We were close. I think in two weeks we closed seven deals oh, wow. at one point. Um, and we you know we expect that, that market will come back at some point and so we're not you know but we're not going to press the issue like people aren't doing exploration, as much exploration right now they're not doing new development right now and so we're like okay well we'll be here when when you guys are ready uh, and we'll keep that that You know, application up to date. But for him, it was really that he had to switch back into the mode that he had, you know, the day he started, right? Which was, okay, we have these technical capabilities, we have this team, you know, that, you know, we have these different areas of expertise. Like, how can we be helpful? Right. So he had to switch back into, you know, what we call need finding or, you know, customer development type activities where, you know, he had a lot of open ended calls. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that a lot of energy tech companies had to do this in the past few months um, where, you know, they're having to revert back to like, what are people willing to spend money on? Like at the end of the day, we have to generate revenue. Um, And so, you know, you start to look for those numbers. And and so luckily, he's a, a flexible, innovative enough person that he was just like, okay, yep switching modes uh, and switched right over and immediately jumped back in with our customers and was like, okay, you guys don't need this right now because you're not doing any of those activities. How can we help? And we we took that standpoint and that really really helped us find what the next application would be in the industry.
1: Yeah. I saw Jeff posting some stuff that, that goes Go ahead, Jake. See, that's why I don't like Go recording ahead. remote. It's like, just fuck this entire thing.
2: <laughs> Bye, Colin. Like, first off, <laughs> shout, out to,
1: shout, out, shout out to Jeff for for being a smart
0: guy. I think that it goes to show you when you hire uh, you know A players, you have the ability to pivot so quickly like that. And, and Jeff is definitely an A player. So shout out to Jeff for that. Um, secondly, I'm really curious how the methane emissions application works. So can you walk us through that? Yeah,
2: so... Um, you know, those of you that are, are thinking through methane emissions right now uh, know that there are a ton of different data sources out there. Um, everything from aircraft, drones, ground sensors, um, you know, with, and then each of those have different kinds of sensors on them, right? Some people are using hyperspectral, some people are using LIDAR, some people are using like in-situ sens- like sensors, um, just saying like yes, methane or no methane, um, you know, all sorts of different. Sensors, um, and so what GeoSite does is first, you know, similar to what we did on the visual imagery side um, with satellites, is we went through the entire industry and did our own analysis of every data provider. Uh, we used our our in-house experts to look at the data, look at you know, do we think it's accurate? Do we think that this is actually helpful? Is it at a price point that we think um, is reasonable for the industry given what they're being asked for? And so we really went through and did that that curation. Step of making sure we knew uh, the best ways to to look at the problem. From there, um, you know we we go through data fusion. So if one of our customers is using our system, they're able to see data from multiple sensors all in one screen right? Which, you know, sounds oversimplistic, but is actually very, can be very technically difficult to represent that data accurately uh, and to fuse that data accurately. And so we're having to do some of our own analytics on it, uh, partially because GeoSite is combining sensors that haven't been combined before, right? So you can do really wonderful analysis on one specific sensor, but once you're combining them in unique ways, uh, you start to see you start to be able to look at the information more clearly um, and actually corroborate between the different sources and have better picture. So there's the the data fusion aspect of it, and then the next piece is really providing people with the workflows to make that data usable. So if you are you know in charge of, a, of an area and you're you know you need to check on the methane emissions and make sure that you know you're you're keeping track of a crisis or that you know about a crisis before anybody else does, right? Especially a regulator. Um, you know, you're able to see that data very clearly. The system lets you know if there's an issue or things are outside of norms. And then you're able to also see any sort of uh, field sensor data that they want to integrate into the platform as well. So whether it's production data, whether it's GPS trackers on vehicles, uh, they can see all of that in one picture. So you can say, hey, you know, the system is telling me that there is an issue in this area. I know that you know Colin is nearby. Hey, Colin, can you go check this out and just give it a quick, Visual inspection, and then if we think that there might be an issue, now we're going to send out, you know, a team that can can actually fix things, or send out an, another team, or or do better analysis. Or oh, Colin looked at it, and there was like, you know, something that that he just handled, and now it's done. And as that is happening, the team is able to log that, so that way, then if there is some mm-hmm. sort of historical analysis, and somebody's like, hey, we think you were the issue, you can be like, nope, we checked everything. Um, so it gives the the operators. Not only visibility into what's happening with emissions, um, but also the ability to operationalize that data, to take that data, make decisions and keep track of what's going on.
1: At the beginning of that analogy, the, are, I thought you were insinuating that I was the problem. Like, hey, there's a problem out there. Oh, Colin's Colin, out. there's like Colin, yeah, like, Colin's, Colin's the definitely problem. breaking shit out there. That's no, we were calling, we were part. calling
2: you to go fix it. Like, hey, Colin, can you yeah. fix this? Piece? I mean, maybe you caused it, like, but also, can you please fix uh, it? I think it's
1: more likely that I was out there breaking <laughs> something.
0: So, yeah. Is the so is the data is it, is it is it existing internal data and sensors or is it are you guys aggregating um, like public data? sources? sources and data from different sensors and pulling that in, or is it a combination of both? Yeah,
2: that's a really good question. It's a combination of both and it depends on the customer, right? So for instance, we have one customer that we're working with right now and, you know, we're providing overhead data, right? So, you know, Sentinel 5P is a very popular one that people are using just for kind of general awareness, right? But it's fairly low resolution, but then we have partnership with GHGSat um, and with other, you know, uh, overhead methane, you know, companies, whether it's aircraft or drones, and we can give them better situational awareness, but they are actually deploying their own ground sensors. So as they are deploying those ground sensors, uh, they're linking those APIs into our system. So the ground sensors will be, you know, proprietary data to that company that we're working with uh, and will never be shared outside of the platform. Like it is just for them to keep track of what's going on. Um, but then we're layering that with data that they didn't have access to um, formally. So, so it's so awesome. it's all three, it's open source data, it's proprietary company-owned data. Um, and then it's also you know commercial data that, that we can acquire for them or that they've acquired separately.
1: Do you have a focus on the energy industry in terms of are you guys looking at really attacking upstream for this methane emissions platform or is it more midstream and downstream and refining? Have you guys kind of found the sweet spot of where the market's willing to adopt it?
2: Yeah, right now we're working mostly with upstream, right? So, you know, going into... You know this crisis you know most of our customers were emp uh, and upstream and, mm-hmm. and so that's where we're starting i definitely see applications elsewhere um but that's kind of our specialty right and and what we love is the idea of remote operations and so the the long-term plan there is there are many other types of sensors many other things that these organizations are tracking um and and like i mentioned at the outset that need to operate more efficiently uh, they can do that if they're using more sensors in the field and so all of that can be Uh, onboarded onto the platform.
1: Got you. So I saw Jeff was posting screenshots of this application that you guys had built. And it was like this, um, tractor, this COVID tracker and risk matrix for, I think it was NFL, was it NFL games for NFL uh, stadiums? They were doing,
2: they were doing all football games. They were doing like everything from college to, to NFL and, and other types of gatherings. So is, Are these so- like pet
1: projects or are these like, are you looking to break into the sports scene and start? No, this is just
2: my team being nerds. Um, uh, I love that. I told him I was like, hey, you should things. like,
1: you should, you know, try to sell off that data to <laughs> DraftKings or FanDuel or someone. You know, someone could use that data. I mean, <laughs>
2: it's probably valuable. So so where that's coming from is, you know, I mentioned the the COVID tracking tool that we're using for the Air Force. Um so we actually are doing some pretty sophisticated uh data projections around what happens as people move around and as you bring people together. Based on where they're coming from, you know, probabilistically, and and uh, you know how many people will arrive somewhere infectious, uh, you could imagine where that's useful on the military side. You know, if you're pulling people together to deploy them, or pulling them together for a training event, or things like that, they need to manage that risk. Um, and so, one of our our infrastructure engineer, you know, who follows sports very closely, he started. You know, he he wired the system to have a separate you know, project essentially that is doing all of these different sporting events. And so <laughs> um, so the team gets their update, you know, pretty consistently about like, hey guys, here are the games where there's very likely to be a COVID outbreak. Uh, and the consensus is yes, if there are fans, There will be a COVID outbreak.
1: Um,
2: So, but to varying (laughs) you're building all this fancy technology to
1: tell you what I could just tell you. It's like yeah, there's a lot of people. There's gonna be a COVID outbreak. But you can imagine you
2: can imagine times where you (laughs) where where you know that's the case, but you have to operate anyway, right? So that's that's the the case for the military where um, they can't just not operate. You can't just not fly jets. You can't just not you know deploy uh, troops. And so for them, they it's about balancing that risk, not eliminating it. And actually. That's the same in most things we do, so right? How do about they methane or search and rescue.
1: Kind of walk me through how that actually works for the military. You know, they have this platform where they can track and, um, you know, see what their risk is of a, of a COVID outbreak, but how do they actually mitigate it?
2: Yeah. So in, in the software that we built, uh, we have various policies that the DOD has in place. And so they can say, okay, if we go through these different policies with you know, the airmen and women before we deploy them, uh, it reduces the risk by this much. So you can imagine uh, if you put people in a 14 day quarantine, great, you've reduced your risk of an outbreak by quite a lot. However, by taking those people out of the workforce for fourteen days, you've introduced a different kind of risk where you have uh, a, you have decreased manpower, right? So it's it's a trade off between, um, and you know we call it the COVID decision support tool because we're helping them make decisions about who are we bringing, how long are they quarantining. You know, who poses the most risk so they can put in, you know, the force structure or if you were, you know, a factory, you could put in, here's where everybody comes from. And you can figure out who is introducing the most risk and maybe exclude them if possible uh, or replace them with a, a unit that would be less risky. Um, so it's it's helping them make decisions about who is doing what and when.
1: Gotcha. So uh, my mind's bouncing around in different directions. I'm gonna gonna keep like throwing random ask questions at you. (laughs) So you know, last time we talked, I remember we were at lunch in Houston and we had a conversation about y'all's next round of funding. And you were talking to me about, hey, what's the market gonna do? And like, hey, I want to toot my own horn on the show. I told you the market (laughs) was gonna crash, right? And that's what we got at the beginning of the year. So you know, what's the what's the Forward path for you guys in terms of, yeah. um, you know, are you going to raise more capital? Or are you going to try to keep growing within cash flow with some of these big contracts that are you're getting? You know, what's what's the plan?
2: Yeah, I mean, we're really fortunate that we've picked up so much traction on the government side that even with the volatility in the energy market, we were still able to uh, continue all of our efforts, right? And basically uh, keep things balanced between our government and our our energy work. Um, You know, we... We're also lucky that we all really haven't fundraised very much in the lifetime of the company um, because we've been able to get these these government contracts. Uh, we, are, we just literally today was the first day of VC meetings uh, for our Series A. So we had planned on raising a Series A um, in like Q2 of this year, uh, but we paused it while we waited to see what the market was doing. Um, you know, we launched our methane emissions product. We secured, you know, this really big defense contract. So uh, that one's called a IDIQ or indefinite duration, indefinite quantity. Um, and it's a, which is kind of a misnomer because actually it has a $950 million cap, but that's pretty indefinite as far as a startup's concerned. Um, so, so we can use that contract. To do to do up to that amount of work, and um, it's it's a really big deal because the other folks on that contract are all defense primes. So it's like Northrop and Raytheon and L three Harris and Geosight, right? Yeah. Um, and
1: so.
2: <laughs> So for us, we're, we're pretty stoked. We did a ton of cartwheels and then we were like, well, oh, okay, the real work starts. Let's yeah, go. Absolutely. Um, so, so for us, you know, we, we want to take advantage of the excitement and interest that we've had around methane. And we want to take advantage of, you know, our, you know, rapid traction on the defense market. And what that requires is that we move faster, right. Yeah. cash flow provides. So, yeah, so we're gonna, we're raising now um, and, you know, it's, uh, it's off to a pretty great start given that it's been, uh, half a day. Half a day. <laughs>
0: I'll go ahead and, I'll, I'll go ahead and toot your horn for you. I mean, we were chatting before we started recording and you were listening off some of your, your investors from your seed round and it's like firms like Sequoia. I mean, they're just like some of the best firms in the world. Yeah. So, I mean, you guys are obviously already have great backers and I think you guys are going to do. Really, really how well. Is the, uh, how too. is
1: the fundraising landscape there in San Francisco? You know, it's completely changed, obviously, to where a lot of these meetings are being held over Zoom calls. But has anything slowed down, or is it still rocking and rolling?
2: Yeah, uh, I think it slowed down for a couple of months while people adjusted. That was one of the other reasons why we were like, "Yeah, we're not doing this right now." Yeah. <laughs> uh, the good news is, at this point most of the investors have completely adjusted to doing things online. They're like, yeah, we've made 12 investments where we've never met the founders in person. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, here in the Bay Area, people are taking COVID pretty seriously. Although one of my investors did say, oh, I'm COVID casual the other day. And I was like,
1: Oh, is that the new term? Is that what we're using? We, COVID will, casual? We, will,
2: we will not be meeting up for coffee anytime soon. If you are COVID casual, whatever that COVID means. COVID casual. But
0: most
2: VCs have gotten used to it, right? So there was like a quick dip while they were all like, you know, trying to, to adjust. Um, but, you know, most of the VC firms that we're dealing with, they are... In a in a broad enough set of industries that you know they've had some startups that have really struggled, uh, and they have other startups that are doing extraordinarily well, um, and so most of them are feeling pretty balanced right now. Um, and of course, it's it's always easier to fundraise when you don't have to, right? Oh, yeah. So um, because it it means you have the numbers for it, so we're 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 okay. Um, I of course fundraising is not my favorite thing to do. Uh, I love like tinkering with geosite. Like I'm an organizational theorist. So I'm like, let's turn this company as like amazing as possible. Uh, having to do pitches gets a bit repetitive.
1: Yeah. the um, A lot of people, I, I don't think understand the pits of raising capital. It takes away from actually building the business and doing the things that you love doing. So you have to divert yeah, your attention always- a little bit. <laughs>
2: I always joke, people are like, oh, I don't understand how these politicians say the same thing over and over and over and over. And I'm like, you've never fundraised. <laughs> I like literally said the same exact sentences like 40 times this week. I know, it's I so I tell Jake, I, like,
1: I like feel disgusted hearing myself say this over and over and over again. I'm like a robot. My,
2: my CTO, after, after our seed round, he joked that he was going to make me a soundboard that has like my typical answers to everything. So I can sit there and like be doing other stuff and just like- oh they asked about uh you know commercial traction click the button look. they asked about our infrastructure <laughs> that, that button, plays into right? your like, love
1: of efficiency it's like look i don't need to talk i just got all know, the answers right? preloaded here so
2: <laughs> exactly so before but they'll still feel like it's a conversation right? i <laughs> yeah. have to know
1: I actually saw someone in the early stages of COVID. He wanted to see if he could automate his Zoom meetings, and so he That's pre-recorded so these conversations and documented the whole process. And it worked out for him. So did um, it really? Yeah, yeah. Like I'll have to go That's find amazing. it and post the link in the show notes because it's pretty funny. But pre-recorded, pre-recorded <laughs> the videos, pre-recorded the um, his generic answers that he had to his boss's questions in the so and the conference meeting. Yeah, so, you know, and then you got like kids like my kid, you know, they're putting um, (laughs) up fake pictures of themselves to make it seem like they're on their zoom calls. I'm like, dude, you're in fourth grade. Like you shouldn't be, I mean, they're innovative, <laughs> they right? Are. They're.
2: Remember we talked about constraints provide opportunity. They, uh, they yeah. have new constraints and there's new opportunities. Yeah.
1: The new generation that's coming up, they're going to be very creative <laughs> and very opportunistic with all the constraints that they've had on them. But before we get, uh, before we close up the podcast, you know, what are some of the things that you guys are focused on in the short term? Obviously you have the capital raise going on. Um, you you kicked off the big military contract. So, what's the next six months look like for you?
2: Yeah, so the next six months, uh, we're going to be spending a lot of time on the Joint All Domain Command and Control uh, system. That's the the weapon system that we're working Who on. Who comes up with the cool government? Names? C 2 We didn't come up with that name. Oh, that's okay. a that's a government weapon, like a government program called the Joint All Domain Command and Control okay. System. If you ever
1: need someone to like uh, come up with cool names, just hit me up and I'll I'll help you out because we can make some cool cool that sounding actually, stuff. Actually, that
2: might be helpful. I tend to be like so pragmatic. I'm like, let's just call it the system for like I always call it like methane emissions, like tracking and response. It's like the most mundane thing to call yeah, it. That's pretty uh, stale. We gotta got spice that up called, a little
1: bit. it up. It's called <laughs> Emit. it's called
2: admit. It's called admit, guys, for a little bit better, but like it's all caps and it's like actually an acronym. There you go. But I don't know. It might send the wrong message because it's like, oh uh, we're using emit and it's like, wait.
1: Uh, are we emitting uh, or, or?
2: Track, track emit, uh, anyways, so maybe we do need you there. Um, so so we'll be working on, on JAD CTO, so the, the military program. And then really we are on the commercial side, you know, focused on this methane emissions problem. Um, so we're diving deep with a few customers um, on how they're trying to tackle it. And we're working really closely with them um, and as well as, you know, making sure we're keeping with all of, you know, what's happening on the regulatory side so we can help mentor people through that. Um, and so for us, it's, you know, if, if anybody here is thinking a lot about methane and has opinions, uh, we are always happy uh, to chat with folks. I think, you know, we've really upped our expertise on, on data fusion and analysis to, to work on this problem. So those are, those are our big two focuses. And then of course, you know, as we close the capital raise, uh, growing the team will be my whole job. So I will be I will be recruiting full time probably <laughs> uh, and trying to pull in you know the next set of you know leaders and and people helping grow GeoSite um, because I think and and you guys know this actually as you guys have started to really grow Digital Wildcatters at some point you know. In the beginning, your product is really what you're focused on, and that is your product. And then as you grow your organization, the organization is your product. Mm-hmm. So to me, you know, Geosite is, is my product, and I'm always trying to um, make Geosite the best company that it can be so it can keep growing. And of course, each of our industry experts are are the best at making sure we have the right solutions for our customers. Um, so that's, that's going to be my primary focus.
1: Yeah. You're going to be busy to say the least. So, you know, it's great to have you on the show again. I think I was just thinking about this. It's a really good indicator of the health of a startup. If you know, you're coming on our show, you know, in a year interval, interval, it means that you're, you're surviving and you're thriving. So, you know, hopefully <laughs> means we're
2: doing new things too. Right. Yeah. So. <laughs> so
1: hopefully, you know, we'll have you on in another year and you're still crushing it and taking it to the next level. Level. So thanks for coming on.
2: Yeah, no problem. And hopefully, I'm back in Houston soon I so, yeah, uh, so I can see not, everybody. We're
1: not making the remote podcast a thing. So, um, <laughs> next <laughs> one, you got to be in Houston.
2: <laughs> all right. Sounds good.
1: <laughs> all right. Thanks, Rachel. All right. Thanks,
0: Rachel. We'll see you
1: soon. All right,
0: guys. If you enjoyed the podcast, please take two seconds to uh, leave us a rating review. Send this all to your friends and family, colleagues, your kids, your grandparents. We'll catch you guys in the next episode. Go, go, go.